0: Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. Turn first off to the last chapter of Revelation, chapter 22. We um, sang in our worship this morning, Who was, and who is, and who is to come. And I when I read those words, when I sing those words, when I hear those words, that stirs my heart. But look what Jesus says in the last two verses here of Revelation chapter 22. He who testifies to these things says, in my Bible it's red letters, surely I am coming quickly. And then what does it say? Amen. So let it be. <laughs> so let it be. You're learning. All right. So let it be. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You see that exclamation mark? I mean, I hold my prayer is that that's in our hearts this morning. As I'm preparing for teaching each week, going through this book of Revelation, my heart personally is being stirred afresh considering the, the thought of the Lord's return and are going to be with him and face to face with the Lord. Exciting days that we're living in and I hope that's the way you see it uh, this morning. So let's now, let's turn back to Revelation chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in verses 8 to 11 this morning. We're going to be talking and reading about the letter that was sent to the church of Smyrna. We looked at Revelation uh, chapter 2 last week, verses 1 to 7, and we read the letter to the church at Ephesus. Remember, these are Jesus' letters that he is writing and communicating To these seven churches that were there in the area of Asia Minor, the church at Ephesus, the church that had left its first love, was the only thing that Jesus had against them. But as I shared last week, that one thing that the Lord had against the church at Ephesus is something that should concern us all. That we would look at our own walk. We would consider our own walk and say, where am I at in my love for Jesus Christ? Has it diminished over time? Is it what it used to be? And I think that we should all, as we read through these letters, we should be looking for how this applies to me. Speak to me this morning, Lord, even from this second letter, this letter to the church at Smyrna the church at Smyrna, as I shared about the different periods uh, and the different ways in which these seven letters cover, there are some that believe and teach that the seven churches, the seven letters that we read here are actually spanning all of church history. uh, They put it down into seven periods of church history. I think I have a a little timeline uh, slide that you can see. You see the church at Ephesus from 30 to 90 AD, and then the church at Smyrna from 98 to 313 AD. Now, we'll see as we go through these letters uh, some significant things that happened in church history during this time. The second church, the church at Smyrna, Is referred to in your Bibles, much of your, probably a lot of your Bibles say the persecuted church. And so Smyrna was that period in that church and also that period in church history that was referred to as the era of martyrdom. A time when within church history there was a lot of persecution that was taking place within the church. This was the persecution excuse me, the persecuted age for the church. Smyrna, it was also a major city on the Aegean Sea. It was actually only 35 miles from the city of Ephesus. Remember that I shared that these letters were probably circular type letters and that Each one of these letters, all seven of these letters, would have gone from starting at the church at Ephesus and then making its way to the church at Smyrna and going through all the area of those seven churches. And all of those churches would have read these letters. Smyrna, at the time that John was writing this letter, was a city that had a population of about 100,000 people. It was a wealthy town. It was a trade city. It was part of the Roman Empire. It was a very strategic city, even for the Roman Empire at the time. A lot of um, uh, occult was there also, like in Ephesus. There was a lot of paganism within the city, a lot of idolatry within the city. And so here we read this morning... Jesus' letter, just four verses that we have. His letter to the church at Smyrna. What's interesting, and I have another slide, the next one I think on on an outline. Uh, You can see I gave an outline last week to Ephesus. Our outline here for these first voice verses, excuse me, starts with the greeting. To the angel of the church at Smyrna. And then in verse 9, we have the commendation that Jesus gives to this church. He says, I know your works. And then in verse 10, the encouragement or the exhortations that Jesus gives, do not fear and be faithful until death. And then lastly, the promise. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. A simple short letter. A letter being written to a church that was under great persecution at the time. Jesus knew that these believers needed this encouragement. But one of the things that you might notice about this outline, unlike last week where Ephesus had left their first love, that was the one thing that the Lord had against them, there's no complaint against the church at Smyrna. Now out of these seven letters, there's actually only two of the churches out of the seven that Jesus did not have a complaint against. It's the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia. And so we read on. We notice... And as we read our text, these four verses this morning, I want you to notice some important words in these four verses. It's the word tribulation, it's the word poverty, blasphemy, Satan, fear, suffer, the devil, prison, tested, and death. Wow, that that sounds like quite the letter that you can see that the things and the content of this letter to these believers. And so let's read it together. Look at your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And you may be tested. That you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The greeting to the angel, to the messenger, to the pastor, we might say, of the church in Smyrna, write this. These things says the first and the last who was dead, and who came to life. I only know of one. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus, writing this letter to the persecuted church, used these words to bring encouragement to them in their suffering. We know that ancient Smyrna like Ephesus, was located in the area of Asia Minor. I think I have a map up here if you can see that. Uh, It was located just, as I said, just 35 miles north of this great city of Ephesus. It was this, again, a beautiful city, lots of architecture in it, a rich city, a major city. It claimed and had a claim to be the glory of Asia. It was a a, a spectacular city in the day. What's interesting about this church in Smyrna, though, is that we don't see any mention of it in the book of Acts. We do see other uh, of these churches mentioned, but the church at Smyrna is not even listed in the accounts of Acts. Or anywhere else in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, this is the only place that we find Smyrna spoken of in Revelation here. Smyrna was a city that was known for its science, for its education, for a lot of things. And so a lot of people that lived in this city, they put a lot of stock in their, their education. A lot of stock in medicine and, and all of those things like we see today. Most church historians believe that this church possibly was founded by some of those that were sent out from the school of Tyrannus. Remember Paul, as he taught there for two whole years in Ephesus, he taught in the school of Tyrannus. And in that time, many people went out into Asia Minor there and, and churches were established during that time. It's believed that this church at Smyrna may have been one of those churches that was established during that time. We read in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For two of those three years that Paul taught in the school of Tyrannus, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And so out of this school, Paul was, people were being sent out. Churches were getting planted during that time. This was uh, the longest Paul place that Paul had ever stayed in the city of Ephesus. Some believe that the name Smyrna may also have been taken from the ancient Greek word myrrh. Now, I've got a a picture also here of a a myrrh tree, if you can see that. With all the light on it, I can't see it very well, but that tree there that looks like a dead tree is a myrrh tree. And if you notice to the right of it, the the, uh, thorns on it and all that, that was a myrrh tree. That's where myrrh came from from this particular tree, there are some that believe that it came from the Greek word "myrrh," and the city was named Smyrna. They would take of this tree, which I think is just so incredible about our Lord. They would take from this tree, and they would take and uh, take a uh, something sharp, and they would etch lines in the bark of these trees. And what would exude out of these trees would be this gum resin that would come out that would harden you've seen that where you have resin that comes out in the form of sap out of a tree they would put these slices into the bark and this resin gum would come forth uh, on the stalk of that tree and they would pick that resin off and it would harden up and then what they would do is they would take that resin and they would crush it and when they crushed it it would give off this fragrance this perfume that we see in Scripture was used in a number of applications. It was very expensive in the day. And as a matter of fact, it was one of the the leading things that was traded out of the city of Smyrna was myrrh. Isn't our God awesome? He's writing a letter to the church at Smyrna. The suffering church. And even in this, and whether it's meant to be this way, but even in this tree, the cutting of the tree, the, the, you know, the, the hammering of the resin to give off this fragrance, that's something only our Lord can do. And it gives off this fragrant aroma when it's crushed. It was also used not only for perfume, you can read that in Psalm 45 about myrrh, but it was used for embalming. They would use it in the spices in the embalming of a body. As a matter of fact, it was used in the spices of Jesus' body in John 19. It was also used for the anointing oil that was used in the incense that was used in the temple. In Exodus chapter 30, remember that the wise men, when they brought the gifts at Jesus' birth of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that was brought a very expensive, something very expensive in the day. You can read of that in Matthew 2. He's writing to the church at Smyrna. The persecuted church. We might say the church that was being crushed. But out of this suffering, and this is what we need to see. But out of this suffering and out of their persecution, these believers in Smyrna, they became a fragrance. A fragrance to all those that were around them that knew of them. To the other churches, to the Christians who would follow in their footsteps and be persecuted themselves. Christians and churches being persecuted, Christians being martyred, becoming this fragrance of the Lord. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he wrote this. He says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And then through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through us. Through you. he You know what a diffuser is? He diffuses the fragrance of him through you. To a world that needs this fragrance of the knowledge of His knowledge in every place you know that happened out in our parking lot yesterday we had a few people out on the parking lot looking for opportunity to share the fragrance of Christ as they handed out bread and prayed for people happens and it's happening in our youth night we have neighborhood kids that are coming to this church some of them are jumping the chain link fence and coming to the church on a Wednesday night because I believe that there's a fragrance in this place that they desire they don't, we don't even know that they know the Lord they're wanting to come and you see we become this fragrance of Christ For we are to God the fragrance of Christ, Paul goes on to say, among those who are being saved. And among those who are perishing. And you know, in my prayer as I read that verse myself is, Lord, would this church be that fragrance? Would you and I be that fragrance to this world? I want to show you, as I showed you in Ephesus there, some of the remains of what's there today in Smyrna. I've got a a picture, I think the next slide, uh, in Smyrna there, of the Athenian Temple. This Athenian Temple was one of a number of temples and pagan temples that were there in Smyrna. It gives you a sense of what the church and the early church had to contend with as they lived in this city and this atmosphere, this pagan atmosphere. Greek mythology was rampant through the city. Apollo and Aphrodite and Zeus. These were all part of, uh, of that city and that, that living there in that, sti- in that city. Athena was the goddess of... Just warfare of wisdom and courage and inspiration, civilization, law and justice, mathematics, strength, strategy, the arts and crafts and skill. They put this upon this one goddess that was there with her statue within the city and the Romans and it became part of the the Roman culture to have this statue of the goddess Athena there was also within this city the Agora I think we have a picture of that that's all that remains today a massive Agora which Agora just means a gathering place an assembly place that the people that lived in that city would gather together not only for athletics For artistic reasons, spiritual reasons, political reasons, this was the gathering place within Smyrna. This is what the Christians had to live with and the environment that they had to live with within this city. I think I've got a a few other slides, a couple more there. The lower level of the Agora, this was massive. This was a, a complex, a massive complex. I think there's one more there. That's just an aerial view of, of, the, of the area that the Agora sat in. You can, if you want to fly and go there today, that's what you'll see. So you're just getting it for free today. But that's the Agora. You also have within that city the goddess of Rome or the temple di Roma. And I think I've got a picture there that particular uh, statue. That was the remains, that's all that remains of the Temple of, of de Roma right there. Remember that I shared uh, about Rome and, and emperor worship and uh, how the beginning days of the Roman Empire, uh, they started demanding that people would start to worship the emperors. It was called emperor worship. And it got to the place under Domitian, as I shared uh, last week, the, uh, that emperor worship became mandatory. It wasn't an option that you had to pay allegiance. And so I want you to think of this persecuted church, these believers that were living there in Smyrna living under the atmosphere of emperor worship, that were demanding that the Christians would pay allegiance to the emperor. In 25 AD, this city of Smyrna was chosen from 11 other cities to be the place that would build a temple to the emperor Tiberius. And I think I have the remains of that. The the temple of of Tiberius was part of this strong cult worship that was there in that city. And all the Christians had to do, this is all they had to do, all they had to do was burn a pinch of incense and they would throw it into a fire and they would say, Caesar is Lord. And then they could walk away. They were given a certificate and they could go on. Put yourself in that place. Caesar is Lord. I'm a Christian. I can't see that. There's only one Lord. No, Caesar is Lord. It was required of every citizen of that city to do that one time a year. What would you do if you were placed in that circumstance today? Persecution's coming, by the way, in America. We haven't, by comparison to a lot of the world, experienced a lot, but it's coming. The Christian community within this city was experiencing financial hardships because of their faith. Emotional and spiritual suffering was a way of life for the Christians in that city. For those that would be loyal to the gospel. You see, there's a lot of Christians today that are not being loyal to their faith. They're not willing to make a stand against morality, immorality in our world. Because it will cost you something. It will cost you to make a stand against abortion. It will cost you to make those statements. It could cost me to make a statement from here. Over issues that this world says we won't do that anymore. And you Christians are becoming the problem. You see this is what they lived under. Smyrna lived under this kind of. Of pressure that was upon them one of the Christians who had to give his life up for Christ was Polycarp Polycarp was an apostle was excuse me was one of the disciples of the Apostle John he was appointed by John to be the, the pastor the Bishop of Smyrna and so Polycarp was probably the one that received this letter. He was the one that read it to the church there in Smyrna. Tertullian and Irenaeus, who were both early church writers in the day, they confirmed this in their writing, that Polycarp was the pastor of Smyrna. Now, history tells us, this is not in the Bible, but history tells us that Polycarp was burned at the stake for refusing to burn incense to the Roman emperor. And after the flames had failed to consume his body, we're told that the Romans stabbed him there as he was being burned on the stake. Here's some of the recorded words taken from a historical document called the Martyrdom of Polycarp by the Sumerians. Polycarp, he stood before the Roman officials and a crowd of people in the theater. This city had a theater that is no longer there today, though they know where the footprint of the theater is. It held 20,000 people. Polycarp was taken into that theater and stood before the Roman officials and the people of that city. Polycarp, on this occasion, because he refused to pay tribute to Caesar, he replied to them when they said to him, we're going to have you shredded and eaten by wild beasts in front of this whole group of people. Polycarp responded. He cried out. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never let me, he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? Father, I bless you that you have deemed me worthy of this day and hour, that I might take a portion of the martyrs in the cup of Christ. Among these, may I today be welcome before thy face as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. That's Polycarp. Take me. Let the wild beast shred me. They said, Polycarp, we'll burn you. We'll burn you at the stake in front of this crowd. And Polycarp's reply was, you threaten fire that burns for an hour and is over, but the judgment on the ungodly is forever. Can you imagine that? That's bold. That's boldness that comes from above. Polycarp was ready to give it up. I had to ask myself the question. If I was put into a place, if you were put into a position of having to renounce your faith, are you ready? Are you spiritually ready if that day were to come? If that day does come, and you're trusting in the holy spirit then i believe in the power of God's spirit god will give you what you need look at your bibles at verse 8 he says these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life remember that The things that Jesus says in these seven letters, they correlate to the vision that John saw of the glorified Son of God in chapter 1. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 17. It says, when I saw Him, speaking about Jesus, I fell at His feet as dead. But He laid His right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am He who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Does that bring encouragement to you? Does that encourage your heart with the fact that we have a Savior that is alive? He came out of that tomb. He's alive. We have the victory as Christians. Jesus is wanting to encourage this persecuted church in Smyrna with these words about himself. This is how I would paraphrase what Jesus may be saying to them in Smyrna. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the eternal God. I'm alive today. I suffered and died for you. Be encouraged. I'm alive. I came back from the dead never to die again. Now how would it, does that bring, you know, just put yourself in that place as Polycarp stood there before the Roman officials and of the people there that day. How many Christians have been comforted through these words that we're reading this morning? Think of the persecuted church around the world. Think about the church that is having to go into hiding for their faith. Many of them giving their life up for their faith in Jesus Christ. Just think how how this jumps off the page to them when they're in those life situations and they're reading about the persecution in Smyrna and the encouragement of the Lord. Look at verse 9. Jesus says, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The Bible says you're the temple of the living God when you give your life to Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying they are a synagogue of Satan. It's quite the opposite of a true believer. Jesus says to this church at Smyrna and to those other churches in that day that were suffering persecution for the cause of Christ, and to every Christian that has followed after them, we are having and experiencing more persecution in the world against Jesus Christ, the cause of Christ, the Gospel sake, that at any other time in church history, persecution is on the rise. Jesus says to the church of Smyrna, He says, I know. I know what you're going through. None of this misses me. I see it all. I see every time a Christian is held back from a position at work even for the gospel's sake. I see every single time that something that happens against you for My name's sake. I see it all. I know. I know about your persecution. I know about your tribulation. I know about the suffering that you are suffering. I know. Remember Stephen when he was martyred? Remember how those religious leaders, they gnashed their teeth at him? They picked up stones to stone Stephen. And Stephen kneels down. He gets down as they're hurling these stones at Stephen, the first recorded martyr in the book of Acts. Stephen filled with the Holy Spirit in the moment. And he says, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. God supernaturally gave Stephen in the moment the ability to look up into heaven and to see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then these religious leaders, they cried out with a loud voice and were told that they stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their coats at the feet of the young man named Saul. Isn't that amazing? God's perfect timing. I'll give up one of mine whom I love. So that it might be the salvation of another. That doesn't really go with how I think. Nor probably how you think. But in God's perspective of things. It would be worth it to give up one of His. Whom He loves. Stephen. That the Apostle Paul. May have been standing there that day. And witnessing him being stoned. That that was maybe the final straw. It was shortly after this, that the Apostle Paul came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God will do some things that we can't even wrap our head around to bring an individual to Him. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling out to God. And Stephen says, Lord, don't lay this charge to them, this sin. And when he had said this, We're told that he fell asleep. I love that. He just simply fell asleep. And in God's perspective, he didn't die. I just brought him home. I'm done. I'm done with Stephen. I think it's good for us as Christians to keep ourselves aware of what's going on in our world. As I already shared, there's more persecution going on in the world than at any other time in church history today. You can go on to a a website uh, for open doors and you can find a list of the top 50 countries where persecution of Christians is growing worse and worse. A list of 50. But let me just give you 11 of the most extreme countries in the world right now concerning Christians and persecution. The first one on the list, they just made number one this year, or from this last year really, Afghanistan. The second is North Korea. North Korea held that position for 19 straight years as being a persecutor of Christians. Somalia, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, India, Saudi Arabia. Those are eleven of the most extreme countries where Christians experience persecution. I encourage you, I have uh, those websites right there. Write those down. Spend some time looking at what's going on in our world with the persecuted church. It'll encourage you. It'll actually make you more bold. Because you'll realize, you know what, if they can do that, if they can go through this, surely I can open my mouth up in America here for Jesus Christ. Here's the latest statistics from Open Doors in just the last year alone there have been over 360 million christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution 360 million and discrimination 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith this year. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,765 believers were detained without trial and arrested, sentenced or imprisoned. 3,829, the number of Christians that were abducted for faith related reasons. That's what's happening in our world right now. You see why this letter to the church at Smyrna is applicable today? I know, the Lord says. I know your works too, Smyrna. As he said to him, and he says to every one of these churches, I know your works. I know your acts of love. I know the the love that you have towards others and and, and the faith that you show. I, I know that. I don't miss a thing. And don't ever think that God does. God doesn't miss a thing. In your life. I know your day in and I know your day out. I know the struggles that you have. I know that when you're being mistreated for the gospel's sake. I know when you make a stand for me. When people didn't agree with you. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5, 11, he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. I can guarantee you this. That if you will make a stand, a bold statement for Jesus Christ, if you will be a witness for Jesus Christ, if you will be unashamed of your faith in Jesus Christ, with family members, with neighbors, with people you work with, if we will make a bold stand for Jesus Christ, you will suffer persecution. The problem with us in America today, and much of the church in America today, is that we're so relaxed though it's getting worse but if we make a stand for these things persecution will come even quicker that sounds exciting I know your tribulation Jesus says and I want to make the distinction that we live in a world full of tribulation anyone have any tribulation going on in life Trials and tribulations. Okay, I'll put two hands up. You know, trials and tribulations of life. We live in a world. Jesus says you're going to have tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. But the tribulation that is going to be coming upon this earth period of time, a period of seven years of which this world has never seen before is going to be different from the tribulation that we experience day in and day out this is going to be a time that God is going to pour out his wrath upon a Christ rejecting world it's going to be called and it is called the seven year tribulation period I don't believe we're going to be here I believe the Lord's going to take us out of this place in the rapture of the church before that day comes. Amen? Amen? Peter wrote that suffering for Christ will come. Thank you, Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, Christians. Be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, Christians, steadfast in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You see, God has purpose in suffering. Christians do suffer. And they will suffer for the gospel's sake. But in the end, this is what you can be assured of. We are always more than conquerors. You will win. We are are victorious in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I know your poverty. But he says, but you're rich. You see, true riches are found in Christ. And I think even what Jesus is saying to them here in this word poverty, I know your poverty, was not necessarily because they were poor, because actually the city of Smyrna was what we might call a well-off city. There was a lot of money there in Smyrna. And so it wasn't necessarily that all the Christians were poor materially. But their poverty was coming from the fact that they were being oppressed. And maybe some of them were uh, lacking in wages because they weren't able to get jobs as a Christian in the city. We know that from Acts chapter 2 when the early church was dispersing things amongst the brethren that were in need. Because Christians were being held back from being able to make even an income because of their faith. And the church just stepped in. They started ministering to their brothers and sisters, taking care of the household of Christ. He goes on to say, I know the blasphemy, I know the abuse, is another way we could put it, of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. And it appears that in Smyrna here, even though there was a fairly large population of Jews within this city, that there were those that were Jews just nationally. These were not Jews that were Jews by belief in Jesus Christ. In other words, they did not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus being their Messiah. And they were there and even creeping into the church. And the early Christians in this church were receiving persecution from them. We know that. Look at our Lord, who he received the persecution from. Jesus says they are a synagogue of Satan. They're an assembly, an organization, if we could say, of those that are against the truth. You ever have somebody come knocking at your door, hey, we're from the Watchtower Society, or we're from the Church of the Latter-day Saints, and they come knocking at your door, And we're Christian. We're a Christian group. Yeah, we're just out talking to people about the Lord. No. They're not a Christian group. I could say, as Jesus said here, they're of the synagogue of Satan. There's not an in-between. Well, they're good people. They might be good people, but they're bringing a gospel that is a half-truth. And it's deceiving people. And it's what these Jews were doing Jews that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And Jesus calls them out as ones that are of the synagogue of Satan. It's pretty bold. We should never buy into the lie that all religions have some value to them. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one way to get into heaven. And that's through the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. I hate that bumper sticker. you ever see it? You see a lot on cars, you know, coexist. I hate that. A list of all these symbols, all the religion. Let's just coexist. It's false. Jesus then gives them some encouraging words here in verse 10. He gives him an encouragement, he gives him an exhortation also. Look what he says: "Do not fear any of those things which are about which you are about to suffer. Don't fear. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What an encouragement. But he's telling them, he's he's predicting to them that suffering is coming. Imprisonment is coming. And he's even getting specific as to tribulation for 10 days. Now, fear is one of those things that I think all of us contend with, isn't it? at a lot of different levels. But when we're talking about fear for the gospel's sake, when we're talking about making a stand for Jesus Christ, and the fear that could come our way from making a bold statement about Jesus Christ, making a stand for the Lord, Proverbs 29.2 tells us that the fear of man brings a snare to you and I. You know what a snare is, right? It's a trap. But those who put their trust in the Lord will be safe. That's a promise that you can stand upon. And I believe that one of the greatest tools that our enemy uses to keep Christians silent is fear. The fear of man. The fear of what people might think of you. The fear of not knowing what to say in a moment the fear of rejection and not all of us do well with rejection, and even the fear of physical harm upon your life. if you start making bold statements for the Lord, and I'm talking about being led to the Lord in those bold statements, there are people who won't like it. but do they need to hear it? They do. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested. Oh, God. Okay, God. Okay, you're going to allow me to be thrown into prison so that I could be tested in my faith. God does those things, doesn't He? And if you're under the testing of God now, and if you experience that testing in your life, that you might be tested. I'll let you go down this road that you might be tested in your faith. Almost sounds like the words that Jesus said to those 70 when he sent them out into the world to be witnesses. About them being thrown into prison and standing before rulers and judges for the gospel's sake. But notice who's the one that's About to throw some of you into prison. Did you miss that? The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Jesus is not throwing him into prison. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Was it the devil that threw Paul into prison ministry? Yeah, he went into prison and he had a ministry there in prison. The devil did that and says, but God, I'm going to further the gospel with you, Paul, here. And the whole palace guard's going to hear the gospel and you're going to be enchained in here. And brothers and sisters in Christ outside the prison are going to be encouraged by your life. As you sit there in prison, they're going to be encouraged by your persistence and your willingness to trust God in the midst of it. The question we might ask is, why doesn't God protect us all the time? Why does He let Christians go through suffering? Why would He allow the devil to have his way? Because God has purposes in suffering. He also purifies the church through suffering. 1 Peter 1.6 In this you greatly rejoice, He never allows you to go through any pathway, any hardship, anything that he doesn't have purposes in. And then also suffering makes us like Jesus. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 17, if indeed we suffer with him, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Isn't that incredible? He knows, he sees. There's a number of views in regards to this 10 days of suffering. Some simply see it as a literal 10 days of suffering that was being prophesied that would come to pass upon the church of Smyrna. Some believe that it's, uh, and you can read about this in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, there were 10 periods of suffering throughout church history Where the church suffered and that is speaking of a whole uh, span of time. That the 10 days that he's speaking of here is really encompassing the suffering that would come upon the church. Whatever view you have and there's a couple others, it's okay. But Jesus said for 10 days you will suffer. And then he says to them, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Polycarp, Stephen, and the thousands and thousands of other Christians who have given their life up for Christ. They received the crown of life, that reward in heaven, that they knew and believed by faith that it was far outweighed the sufferings of this present time. James 1.12 says blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he is approved he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him Jesus closes this letter with a promise he says he who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches he who overcomes shall not be heard by the second death. Those who overcome in Jesus. I shared with you last week what an overcomer is. If I asked all of you that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, if I asked you this question, are you an overcomer? You might ask, you might say to me, what are you talking about? Are you talking about me overcoming all of my sin and temptations in life? Do I ever fail? Is that what you're talking about? Or are you asking me, have I overcome through the cross of Jesus Christ? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Am I an overcomer by the sheer fact that I have given my life to Christ? That's what I believe is an overcomer. Yes, we'll fail in life. Yes, we'll have times of, of failure. And you're still an overcomer in Christ when it comes to your eternal destiny. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, Who is He who overcomes the world? And then He gives the answer but he that believes that Jesus is the Christ. Ask yourself that question. Do I believe that Jesus Christ is my only hope of salvation? Do I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life? Do I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again? Do I, Did I receive Him into my heart and life as my Lord and Savior? And if you have, Then you're an overcomer who is he who overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Christ you're an overcomer you're already more than a conqueror through him who loves you that we can rejoice in amen Amen. so let it be you will not be hurt by the second death Christians You don't have to be concerned with the second death. If you die as a Christian, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. If you go into the grave at the rapture of the church, you're going to be resurrected and you're going to have your new body in the moment, the twinkling of an eye. The dead in Christ are going to rise first and we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up together with the Lord and there we shall ever be. but those who do not overcome. We read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. It says then, Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, it says. The second death is being cast into the lake of fire. That's hell. That's separation from God. The second death. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death and anyone, listen to this, and anyone not found written in the book of life was what? Was cast into the lake of fire. I want to know that my name is in the book of life. I want to be assured of that. I don't want to guess at that. I don't want to hope that maybe that'll happen, that will happen, that my name is in there or not in there. Because the stakes are high. The second death. The great white throne judgment. Revelation 21.8 We read this, but the cowardly The unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and then it throws this in, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Who is he that overcomes? But he that believes that Jesus is the Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the word of God. That gives us everything we need. Tells us everything uh, that we need to know of things to come. It gives us all the hope and assurance and confidence. the things that you have said are going to come to pass just as you say that we can stand upon these truths we can be assured of them and Lord we look forward to that day when we're face to face with you in eternity where there's going to be no more curse no more suffering no more crying former things are going to pass away all things are going to become new a new heaven and a new earth and father we look forward to that day and Lord I just pray Lord this morning if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior that maybe just happened to come to this church today that doesn't know in their heart that they're saved God, would you save them? Would you open their eyes of understanding? Would you let them see that they don't know you? Lord, that they might turn to you and receive you into their heart and life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving it all up for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's have the worship team come up, close us in a song. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, come up and talk with me. This could be our last day. We don't know. But I say to all of us, make sure in your heart, have a conviction in your heart that you know. Don't don't rest on anything of your past. Don't rest on the fact that you were raised in a church. Don't put stock... In anything other than have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior John 1:12 says to as many as received him to them he gave the right to become the children of God you need to receive Christ to be a child of God and so come on up and see me we can pray together we'll have others up here to pray if you need prayer come forward and just say would you pray for me I need a recommitment in my life. I need to be stirred in my heart. Come forward. There'll be somebody here that'll pray for you. And uh, God bless you. Let's all stand.